Alrighty, good morning. Back home. I was back home last time I did this as well, in fairness. <laughs> I have been in Sydney since I uh, since I last did the last weekly theme. I'm going to talk about the Sydney stuff in a moment. In fact, if I'm honest, there's not a lot of stuff today. I, uh, I was very tied up during the week, and then I looked at the schedule this morning, and I'm like, what am I going to talk about? Damn, I'm not even hardly tweeted anything this week. Anyway, we'll fill in some time. Neil's here. First time live from South Africa, but actually from the UK. Okay, similar time zone. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Let's jump into it. Let's do the sponsor bit. Now, sponsor again this week is Collide. So massive thanks to Collide for, again, being a big sponsor for so long. Uh, probably doesn't need a lot of introduction here, but let's do the sponsor bits anyway. Unpatched devices keeping you up at night. Collide can get your entire fleet updated in days. Device trust for Okta. Watch the demo. Uh, I hope by now, most people, well, Neil's new, <laughs> most people new for live, I guess, have seen Clyde. Go and check the demo out. Challenges of implementing device trust with Okta. How Clyde integrates with Okta to keep untrusted devices from accessing your company's apps. And how end-user remediation removes the IT bottlenecks that often derail zero-trust initiatives. Every time I go and do talks, <laughs> we, we seem to somehow end up, this is a good segue to Sydney, and it's still Clyde related. Somehow seem to end up talking about just how screwed everything is. A lot of talk about AI when I was doing the user group in particular. And you just get to the point where it's like, yeah, like it's it's all kind of a, a mess. Uh, we're doing some better tooling. We have solutions like Clyde, which are helping us improve. Uh, and isn't it a good time to be in the industry because things are kind of messed up? G'day, George. Good evening. South Africa from Australia. <laughs> oh of a theme tonight this morning whenever i don't know so on the sydney things i was uh down in sydney for ndc sydney which was which was fantastic ndc is still my my number one favorite event so much so that i married someone from there which is <laughs> i think good endorsement um we were in ndc sydney last year as well yeah we have had one since since covid are we saying since covid yet or are people still like no it's still around Anyway, you know what I mean. Since we're able to travel again. So I did a talk about how I met your data, effectively the same talk that I did when I was at uh, NDC Security in Oslo last month. Obviously different side of the world, different audience. Was a bit of new stuff in there, though. Uh, I was very, um, I don't think happy is the right word. It was a very appropriate environment to also share some stuff that had just gone down with the spoutable things. I spoke at length last week about spoutable which I think was obviously I was gobsmacked writing the blog post and then at some of the responses afterwards but to stand in front of a live audience and talk about it and just watch like a sea of faces and everyone's just like no way they did what spoke about that there um so that was new compared to NDC security and I was late last month also did the Azure user group in Sydney in the Microsoft Reactor uh, that was a very casual event. I had half an hour. I had one slide <laughs> and then everything else. It's just like, here's some demos of some code and things. Uh, and then here's what happened with Spoutable. And we kind of did the talk again. It was just fascinating, particularly in a much more casual environment where there's a bit more banter and to and fro just to see the reactions. It's, um, it's going to be a while till we top that one, I feel. That was good. 
Took the kids as well, busted them out of school for a couple of days. You can do that in Australia. I keep hearing you can't do that in the UK or you get fined or something like that. Uh, so for uh, maybe Neil has a view on that. But I know every time I speak to Scott Helm about it and he's like, yeah, we'd love to come and visit and bring the family you know, to spend a few days in Norway or something. But if we take them out of school, we get fined. And it's something bad too. It's like £100 per parent per day or something that makes it hard to build an ROI on the travel. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, took the kids down. That was fun because we were just trying to surround them with as much technology, as much sort of interesting people as possible. And you go to an event like this, we've got speakers from all the way around the world, lots of interesting folks, uh, and immersing them in that, I find, is is really valuable because I hope that they grow up thinking that all of this technology and the things that they see around them is like normal life and it's a low friction to then get in and do the sorts of things we do. That's the plan. On that front, we do have NDC Oslo coming up in June. We are now well into the planning mode for the 3D printing talk that I'm going to do with Elle, my 11-year-old daughter. This is going to be not just her first conference talk, but it is in front of an audience that will be many hundreds of people in Oslo. They will be adults who are technology professionals, and she, as the 11-year-old, needs to be able to teach them things that they don't know. So that that, I feel, is a stretch goal, and I'm very excited about that. We will co-present, so we'll have a bunch of stuff together. But uh, she actually really knows what she's doing now, so I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. Neil's got no idea about kids. Google that. UK find for taking kids out of school. What are the rules on taking kids out of school in the UK? Parents in the UK could face fines up to £2,500 or even imprisonment <laughs> for up to three months for taking the kids out of school. Fines start at £60 per parent, rising to £120 each if they are not paid within 21 days. Wow. That's... Uh, I guess it's like if they were abusing the system. It's, it's different. You take a kid away for a couple of days to go to a technology conference and learn something. Uh, and I know it would happen here if uh, if my school was upset. Uh, I would be reminding them about who pays <laughs> the school because we. Pay. It's a weird Australian thing, but we, we we pay a lot when you send your kids to private schools. We pay. In Indlam, in uh, whoever just commented, <laughs> it doesn't happen in Scotland. More in England and Wales, the fines happen. Okay, I've certainly never heard about this here. In Australia, they, um, the schools say you can ask for permission. You can ask for permission, and then permission can be granted. Uh, so every time we're going to take them somewhere, I say, we're taking them. And then they say, okay, you have permission. I'm like, well, <laughs> you think that matters, but it doesn't. There's a Guardian story here. Record 350,000 parents in England fined over term time holidays with children. Wow. When was this from? It's from December. Man, the sharp rise in fines underlines ongoing concerns of a breakdown in relations between school and parents over attendance and behaviour. Anyway, not our problem. <laughs> not there in England. Oh, I forgot to tweet the thing about being live. There we go, done. Alrighty, so that was Sydney. Got back yesterday. I honestly felt a bit run down, uh, and I think we ended up going to bed at about eight o'clock at night and got up at five this morning. So a good nine hours sleep does help. Feeling much better now. 
other things. Let's have a look. Where's my notes? There we go. Ransomware payments. So, so this is one that popped up. It's one of the few things I shared on Twitter this week, but I thought it was interesting. There's a there's a headline here about ransomware payments exceeding one billion dollars, which probably means American dollars. You know they have dollars in lots of different places in the world, and if you don't say, it could be Hong Kong dollars, it could be Singapore dollars, probably not Australian dollars, probably is American dollars. One billion in 2023, hitting record high after 2022 decline. Now. It's kind of a fascinating figure. It's from Chainalysis, who does a whole bunch of blockchain tracing. So I imagine that the number is at a bare minimum. Uh, I'm not sure that... Are there people still sending cashier's checks to Panama? <laughs> like, were there other ransomware payments that maybe were excluded from these numbers? But I would imagine, given the immutability of the blockchain and their ability to trace it down and the, the public circulation of blockchain addresses for ransomware payments... Uh, I'd imagine their numbers are pretty reliable. 1.1 billion in 2023, a watershed year for ransomware, apparently. Wow. That's kind of nuts. And we have seen a lot more happening. I've commented so many times when doing this this video, blog, podcast, whatever it is, that I'm seeing so much ransomware of so many different organizations and so much data dumped. And I've often lamented that I'd like to be able to process more of it, even some of it, for Have I Been Pwned. Uh, it, it's messy, but there's just so much data out there. And inevitably, some people are still paying too, which is the other thing I find fascinating. We've had really high-profile cases recently, such as Medibank in Australia, where payment definitely has not been made, and they make headlines. I wonder how many payments are still made, and then they never make headlines, possibly never disclosed to regulator either. So that's uh, obviously a lot of people still paying, Billion dollars, bunch of money. Uh, Lee, why did Chris Krebs go to Stasi? I have absolutely no idea what that's about. Wayne, evening. G'day, Wayne. All right. So it is going to be a nice prompt one today. HOBP, RDBMS rollover. Now, I've spoken about this uh, on and off for the last few months, and we're actually getting really close to this now. Have I Been Pwned is just over 10 years old. 4th of December 2013 was the, the date of birth of Have I Been Pwned. It's run on Azure Table Storage for many, many years. It has served us well in terms of being very cost-effective, very scalable. It has gone beyond its usefulness. Well, this is a bad phrase. It has gone into the area that I don't feel comfortable with in terms of there's no good backup strategy. Uh, running manual AZ copies every now and then is not a good backup strategy. There's no good point in time restore. There's no good replication story for if we want to geographically distribute across the world. Uh, ad hoc queries are, are terrible. So on and so forth. So we did make a decision quite some time ago to roll over to the serverless instance of a SQL Azure RDBMS. Now, this uh, this seemed like a good idea, <laughs> and, and to date, I still think it's a good idea. But it has been non-trivial to take what I think is about five and a half billion records, and I, I say I think that because we couldn't tell exactly from from Azure Table Storage just how many rows you've got. I do know that the AZ. Why do I say Z? AZ copy that is running right now is up to just over 5.5 billion entities and I think it's almost done it's non-trivial to migrate this stuff over uh, and Stefan and I have been working on the code to roll from table storage over 
into SQL Azure. And the, the original approach was let's write code that can query table storage and then insert into SQL Azure and I'll do some cleanup along the way. So we've gotten much stricter with things like what is a valid domain? Um, so we're rolling over you know, five point something billion email addresses. A bunch of the data that's been parsed out of breaches over the last decade and a bit has pulled rows that aren't actually email addresses. Uh, some of them are improperly formed aliases. Some of them have TLDs that don't exist. So we're doing cleanup as we go through. And in fact, what it will do is it will ultimately reduce the actual number of records that's been loaded to have a Benpone. I don't think I'm going to change any of the counts or anything. I, I might just do a, an interesting sanity count and just see what the deviation is. I think it will be somewhere that's going to be low single digit percentage, probably like 1%. So it probably won't have a lot of actual impact. But we tried to start rolling over just by pulling data from table storage and then batching it into SQL Server. <coughs> and it wasn't overly successful for a few different reasons. I think largely because it's just such a huge volume of data. And whilst you're pulling from one source and pushing to another source, if either fails, you start to have a bit of trouble. We've ended up getting to the point where we're just dumping, using AZ Copy, everything into CSV and then going through a process of CSV cleanup. So we've got a script that's going to take, we, we think about six hours to run through and remove records which are, uh, are not valid, you know, let's say an incorrect TLD. The script is also going to go through and create the SHA-1 hash prefix because we use that for the K anonymity searches that Mozilla Firefox and 1Password and others use. It will also go through and do a little parsing around things like who has opted out. Is it a permanent opt-out? Is it just a public visibility opt-out? And it will create a new CSV file. And then we're using SQL BCP to grab all of that and then dump it into a staging database table. And I think from memory... What do we figure out, Stefan? How many hours was that? We've done a, a 100 million record test run. So we've got lots of stats for 100 million records. And then when it's five point something billion, it's just, it's just going to be longer. Uh, so I think dumping that with, um, with SQL BCP. I don't know how long it's going to... It was actually pretty fast, actually, when I did 100 million. So, all right, it's going to be 50 times longer or something like that. So we've got to do that, and then we've got to go through and actually parse out the data that's in there and insert it into the new tables with the proper referential integrity and eventually the constraints and indexes and everything else. So I'm, I'm really, really hoping that probably over the course of the weekend, particularly if we scale the database all the way up, that we get this thing uh, in there and operational by the start of next week. Now, we can then have two different repositories of data. We've got the old table storage stuff and the new SQL Server stuff. We've got to start getting data breaches to load, not just into table storage, but into SQL Server, which should be really easy because they already go through SQL Server as they load at the moment anyway. And then we just got to figure out how to start rolling this over carefully because I'm still nervous that there's going to be either a speed impact or a cost impact. Very nervous about that. So I think we'll just start rolling over one feature at a time. You know, we might do like domain searches last or something because that's quite a large query. Uh, we might do individual email addresses first because I think that they should be super, super fast. Uh, and eventually we'll sort of roll it over. We'll run them both in parallel. And when we get to the point that we're really, really confident we don't know the table storage stuff, we can delete that, move on, all done, and then figure out what new stuff we want to do with the RDBMS. <laughs> Nick007, evening from the pub, Troy. G'day. <laughs> I've been enjoying your beer. 
So that has been a massive task for us uh, over the course of the last few months, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to putting that behind us. I'm getting a little bit sick of like really really long running queries and databases scaling, and yeah, we'll put that behind us soon. Now, last thing, as I was jumping on the plane yesterday, and I'm sure by now everyone has seen this, I just thought it was kind of fascinating. As I'm jumping on the plane, I see all the the tweets and stories coming out about Sora, so OpenAI's new text-to-video generation. Now, if if you haven't seen this already, words don't do it justice. You have to go and look at it. It is nuts how realistic the videos created by OpenAI Sora are, like off-the-charts kind of realistic and it's you know what's sort of fascinating about it is that the lines between reality and fiction have just completely been blasted away if you go and have a look at what they've got there is in terms of their sample videos you know the one that's here front of page at the moment is a lady walking through a street in tokyo and there's it's been raining there's water on the ground all the reflections and the lighting it's i cannot spot that this is generated and not just generated, but just generated from a text prompt. You know, this is not someone that's been messing. What do people use these days to generate? You know, it's not like a Pixar kind of, you know, full-on graphic design studio. It's literally just text, which has prompted this, which is kind of insane. Uh, I don't need to probably play the audio on that one, do I? Why can't I flick through that? There's like some Western town here in this one, cars driving around guy running backwards on a treadmill just go and watch this because it is nuts the commentary around it i'm finding really really fascinating particularly the negative commentary you know like it feels like a little bit of luddite stuff going on here where there are people that are very worried about this because it's going to kill creativity and it's going to kill the artists and you know we've heard this so much with ai haven't we It's, it's it's kind of curious I think it's fascinating. Uh, this is not something that you can go and use yourself at the moment. Apparently, it's open to a small number of creative people or, or something like that. But it's going to be like everything else we've seen, right, where we get you know, snapshots of what it looks like with DALI 3 to create images, and then eventually it will filter down and we'll get access to it. Uh, the, actually, the other defining feature of this is apparently it can create videos of up to a minute long, whereas previously AI-generated videos seem to be very, very tiny short clips. And then the fingers weren't right and the teeth were wrong and everything else. But now this is just absolutely fascinating. And this is partly what came up in the user group the other day, just to <laughs> come full circle and round out the discussion today. The, the ability for AI to play both productive roles and destructive roles in our life is absolutely massive. It's, uh, it, it's crazy. But in the same way, we come back to sort of moral neutrality of technology, where it's a little bit like the governments would be, uh, you know, well, we're worried about the encryption because the encryption could be used by the terrorists and the pedophiles, and you know, maybe we need to ban it for. Well, it's 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 not bad technology; it's morally neutral technology, and we can apply it in different ways. And I'm sure we'll see absolutely amazing, productive things done with AI, just as we'll see very destructive things done with AI. And I tell you what, when you can start generating videos that are this realistic and as soon as you start to step outside the mainstream stuff that does have some controls on the usage of it and you can start generating videos of me or much more important people and get them to say really interesting stuff uh, that's going to get curious Tim what 1987 
How many leather jackets do you own? Uh, odd question, but one. Well, actually, one, one that I would wear normally, <laughs> and I still have a motorbike jacket there somewhere, which I haven't worn for many, many, many years because I like not dying. Okay, folks, that's a short one. I'm going to wrap it up there. Go and enjoy my uh, sunny Saturday here on the Gold Coast. Maybe try and get out in the water and enjoy a bit of the, uh, the sunlight because it was belting down rain when I came home yesterday. Thanks very much. Catch you next week.